Welcome to Turning Little Stones, the podcast that takes a fresh look at the fascinating world of young children. As a parent, experienced childcare professional and early years consultant, I get how much we dream good things for our children. We start out hopeful and confident, and yet somehow the daily reality can feel more like a grind than a gift. And so we easily miss out on the joys of these fleeting early years. Over time, I've come to realize that to give our children the best start in life, we first need to recognize what's going on inside them in secret. There is some great research out there, and my heart is to make some of this relatable for everyone. And so throughout these weekly podcasts, I hope that whoever you are, parent, family carer, childminder, practitioner, anyone who spends time with young children can take a moment each week to reinterpret what our children are doing and why. And by doing so, I have seen countless exasperated, bewildered, exhausted carers become re-energized and inspired as they find easy ways to connect with what their young children are naturally eager to do. A little like turning over a pebble in a rock pool to discover a hidden world tucked away. We too will look at our children with fresh eyes and delight in being part of their journey. So welcome back to Turning Little Stones. And today I've come to meet somebody who have known for a long time, or known of for a long time. Her name is Sue Gascoigne. And I really wanted to come to talk to her because so much of her work is very similar to what we've heard a little bit from when we spoke to Rachel Duval. And yeah, I just really like to unpack a little bit more about it. I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. So, Sue, thank you for having me. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much. Yes, well, I guess we met many, many years ago when I was sort of exhibiting uh, for my sensory resources company, Play to Z. And mm -hmm. I think it was probably the heuristic play resources, treasure yes. baskets. I think yes. I became known as probably being a little bit obsessive about sensory things and treasure baskets. But since then, I retrained as a play therapist mm -hmm. and that opened up a whole new world for me of a different way of engaging with children and their families and a different way of supporting children and, I guess, working to try and make a difference to their lives. So really when things have gone wrong in families, where family has fractured in some way? Yeah, that's right. To whatever extent that is, because mm -hmm. it may just be sort of temporary communication breakdowns. It could be as a result of family breakdowns or sort of significant changes in a child's life or you know the recent pandemic which had a massive destabilizing impact on families and you know children for a lot of children hitherto with fantastically safe nurturing attachments they they experience the fear of their parents and the unknown and the fact that for the first time in their lives 
their parents were not able to reassure them about their safety or the safety of loved ones or that they'd be going to school or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think that degree of uncertainty has really played out with, with children. So I suppose what, what we're saying is no family is perfect. No family, however much we wish it, can go through an idyllic uh, process of bringing up children. So actually for every family, there are going to, they are going to encounter difficulties at some time or other. And I guess it's how we manage that. I know you're, you're working with primarily slightly older children, That's sort right, of top-end yeah. primary. Yeah. But actually, presumably, some of the damage happened when they were little. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the trauma... Uh, a lot of the children I work with have experienced significant trauma in their lives. But you're right, a lot of that happened as babies or very young children... And it's at that sort of primary and secondary age where a lot of the impacts of that become evident. But yes, I, th I think the whole issue about families is, you know, relationships are hard. We have to mm. work at relationships mm. and they involve a lot of compromise and communication and connection are pivotal, central to the success of relationships and... We all have developed, will have developed our own coping strategies. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a lot of parents in times of stress may pull back from their children or disconnect without them even realising, mm -hmm. perhaps. And that can leave children in a sort of somewhat floundering and... And, and before parents have realised, they you know, the child is resistant to going to school or is having various issues, quite often, if communication can be supported and the adults can see the situation and the world from their child's perspective, it can be enough of a change to, you know, reconnect yeah. and move on. Yeah. I mean, in fact, any in any relationship... You know, we're human beings, and I wouldn't want it any other way. We're not robots. So I work in a children's home. I do not want the adults that care for these children that have experienced significant trauma to be acting in a robotic way. That would be <laughs> as damaging for attachment. <laughs> um, I'm not sure robots <laughs> have empathy, do they? <laughs> no, I think exactly. So that, that would be inappropriate. But that means as, pet, as, as human beings, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. But it's about how we repair them. It's how we reconnect with each other and with children. You know, that's, that's where the work is to be done. And that's where the hope lies, because mm -hmm. I think... Most relationships can be enriched with that sort of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And obviously we can't undo the trauma that the children that I work with, who, as you say, are much older. But we can support them in having a more hopeful and positive life mm -hmm. by enabling them to experience acceptance and the sort of the support and the strong attachment and safety that they need in order to 
blossom and move forward. So good. Yeah. And hope. We all need hope, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think no more acutely than now. Mm. I, I, you know, mm. this pandemic, it, it really feels it did undermine uh, a lot of things that we took for granted. And... It was like the world was shaken. It wasn't mm. a particular nation or part of no. the world. It was... This was the world being yeah. shaken up. And it wasn't as we know it. No, 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 no. <laughs> or could have foreseen it. No, it yeah. No, no, OK. So you've referenced Pace, and if our listeners want to hear more about that, I'm sure you're going to yeah. put some more flesh on the bones, but Rachel did refer to it and, and helped explain it a little bit in, in her, her uh, podcast. But you've come. You're you're working with something different. You're calling it spacey. Can yes. you can you unpack this a little bit? Sure. So Pace was developed by Dan Hughes, yeah. in, an inspirational counsellor therapist mm -hmm. who I've had the privilege to have training with, and I use that on a daily basis in my work with the young people that I work with and in the children's home that I, I work in. And I also try to use it in my own relationships and sort of instill it in, in what I do generally. But it's very interesting because I know, like, in the children's home in which I work, which is, as you say, with sort of primary and secondary age children, that the adults, the adult carers, uh, they personify PACE. I, I'm a mental health practitioner, so I support that and support that sort of reflective practice and thinking about what we do and what cues we provide for children yeah. and, you know, all, all of the unwritten, the unsaid stuff that, that, that is essential for our sense of well-being. And I know from our Ofsted inspection recently that we were described as sort of personifying pace Whoa. and, you know, <laughs> yeah, very, very proud moment. And that the adults, you know, they are fantastic. But there are still moments when even though we do personify pace, even though we are very mindful of those dimensions, so playfulness, acceptance, curiosity and empathy, which make up pace, it feels like we still don't always get it right as adults. Okay. And that got me feeling curious. Well, how can this be? Because pace is so amazing. Yes. How can we be intentionally? And I know that that was something that Rachel was talking about, in intentionality. Mm -hmm. But how can we be intentionally following something like that? And yet, still not always. Still missing the mark yeah, a little bit. Yeah, sometimes, okay. in tiny ways, yes. but still sometimes yes. not. So my, my view of pace, uh, and this is something that also came out from the training that I did with Dan Hughes, is the playfulness side, that although very important, and we all need that hope, we all need yep. playfulness and yep. that form of connection, actually the reason it comes first is just to support the acronym. By Dan's own admission, playfulness is not the most important aspect uh -huh. of pace. So if I had to suggest what, which to me are the most important, the A and the E, well, and the C, the ACE parts are. So acceptance. So I, I am going to come on to the spacey bit as Great. well. Good, good, good. <laughs> but basically, I'm sure we've all experienced something that's not gone as we'd hoped, uh -huh. something that's left us with that sort of, that feeling, that niggly 
black hole feeling of feeling bothered by something, you know, it, disappointment, upset, whatever it might be, but something's not gone quite well. And clearly in talking to someone or working with someone or being cared for by someone, they can't change that. That thing has happened, that's in the past. But it's such a powerful thing that if someone experiences acceptance of those difficult feelings and the validity of them and the justification for them having those difficult feelings and the sadness or whatever those feelings mm. are, that seems to be able to free people up to then move on past the trauma, past the difficult, annoying thing that happened. Can, yeah. I, can I just butt in here? Yeah. I cannot agree more. And in my world in early years, even when you've got the, the small meltdowns, you know, yeah. for a young child, their life has just fallen yeah. upside down because somebody's kicked their tower over, yeah. you know, tiny in, yes. in the scheme of things. But to be able to come alongside that child and say, you look so angry. Do yeah. you know, I feel angry too sometimes. Yeah. And this is what I do with it. Yeah. So I love what you're saying, that acceptance, knowing and naming the emotion. Absolutely, because a lot of the children, and, you know, this is as true for the primary and secondary and beyond age children that I work with, mm. and, and indeed a lot of adults, mm. might I say, we, you know, we're not always aware of what those feelings are. Mm -hmm. And we're not always aware of what some of that somatic experiences are, so those inner body experiences, where, where a child has experienced neglect or even just a disconnection yeah. between caregivers and themselves as a very young baby, yeah. then, you know, they will not have developed the understanding of what it's like to feel unsafe, cold, uh, hungry, you know, any of some of these basic Maslow's hierarchy yes. of, of needs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we might experience butterflies in our stomach. Well, they may not understand what the cues are for them of, of these feelings. And and what you've described there of, uh, of, of a two-year-old, a three-year-old that's sort of developing their ego, developing their sense of self as distinct from, separate from their parents... Mm -hmm. Is, is a really fragile stage where that can be nurtured in the way you've just described and accepted and the links made and, and, and an alternative approach modelled, mm -hmm. but it ultimately it can be accepted it is, and yeah. the mm -hmm. adult be curious mm -hmm. and empathise, so those are the ace element yes. of pace. Or that person, that child can be told, oh, stop it, it's only whatever, pull yourself together, you know. Mm -hmm. And then in that moment, they can be dismissed, they can become invisible, misunderstood, and all of those different feelings. And the emotion is still there. The emotion is trapped within yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And at any point in their lives, as, you know, yeah. moving into adulthood, they will probably be able to connect with that feeling okay. in that moment when they experience those same feelings of feeling unheard, invisible, mm -hmm. let down, not good enough, mm -hmm. unlovable, all mm -hmm. of those massively important things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so pace to me is really important. Playfulness is, is important, but, you know, I, it, it's not 
the, the, the getting the acceptance bit right, being curious, and that's curious about the child's experiences, the child's inner life, the child's experience of the world. And it's also curious about ourselves and our relationship with them and what our actions are signalling to them. And, and then it's also that, that empathy side. If we get those parts, then I feel, you know, we, the child has got a good chance of, a, mm. of good connections. But you're right, recently I've been thinking, hang on a minute, there's, there's something missing. And so I, I realised that in connecting with, with some children, we were doing all the pace part. But I thought, well, where's the nurture? <laughs> it felt, it felt, sort of like looking being a fly on the wall and watching interactions. It felt like, oh yeah, we're, we're we're still doing, you know, the acceptance, the curiosity, the empathy, but it still didn't come across in a in a nurturing okay. way, mm-hmm. in a soothing way that would soothe the amygdala of the brain, the reptilian brain, if that child has gone into a, a, a survival yeah. mode of mm-hmm. fight, flight. Well, we now know there's lots more freeze, flight, fight, fawn, flop. There's, there's, there's lots of them, Not basically. across <laughs> Any number. And so it occurred to me that actually perhaps... You know, we, we need something. It's important enough. That nurture piece, N didn't work with the acronym, so hence space, the, the S for spacey. And it feels to me that that's soothing for the S. It, you know, it could be about bodily connection, body contact, safe contact. It could be a ruffle of the hair. It could be a yeah. high five. It could be a hug. It could be yeah. a bear hug. It could yeah, be yeah. rough and tumble. But equally, it could be a little note in their lunchbox Mm. or uh, picking something that they like for food or anything that demonstrates to that child that they are seen and soothed. Love that. And thought of, yeah. It's like a love language, isn't it? It is. Just communicating in the way that is uh, uh, right for that particular child. Presumably that's different for each child as well. I think the the subtleties of it would be different, but actually a book that I really love the idea of is called The Power of Showing Up by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And what that presents, I love these acronyms, basically, but this has got four S's. And this is the importance of children experiencing from their parents safety, feeling seen, that's so important, feeling secure and feeling soothed, those four elements. And which is why I feel they're really important to go alongside pace. Um, Because we we show these dimensions in countless ways intentional ways Mm -hmm. I'd like to think but Mm -hmm. they won't always Mm -hmm. be and we can miss opportunities in countless ways in in a child's Mm -hmm. day in life. So can I just ask you, hopefully not too tricky, you need to be quite secure as an adult to be able to do this, you need to be in a good place because actually we know that young children press our buttons Mm -hmm. and if we are not in a secure place ourselves, Mm. 
That presumably is where stuff begins to go wrong because the adult is perhaps incapable at that point in time to offer this intentional support to the children. Yes, I, I, that's a really fair point. And as a parent, I, you know, I, I know it is the most, it's the hardest job in the world mm-hmm. being a good enough parent. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that, and it comes back to the whole robots and imperfect human beings yes. sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, I think it's where where self awareness comes in because. We can have experienced trauma ourselves. We can have experienced pain. And that that can actually serve to give us sort of a little bit of a superpower, maybe, in recognising okay. that in, in others, potentially. And would you advocate expressing... You know, if you're, if you're being overwhelmed by grief, for example, as an adult... Rather than putting the lid on it and trying to hide it and actually coming over as quite tight and brittle Mm. to your young children, to be able to say, you know, look, I'm not feeling great today. Mm. You know, I'm feeling really sad because this has happened. But actually you're you're giving the child a window into what you're truly feeling. Absolutely. And it's authentic, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we have to we have to realise that children are very intuitive mm-hmm. and they'll know that that parent is not okay. And the likelihood they will assume it's something to do with them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of discussions about, you know, do we share this, don't we share that? Of course we mustn't parentify mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Of course we mustn't share, overshare with of them, course, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, render them feeling responsible for us as parents. Mm-hmm. But actually what we're doing in the way you described is, is, is modelling a language for them to use it's it's giving them another example of recognizing what what a feeling looks like and how it's okay to acknowledge that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and you know to, and to ask for our needs to be met and to communicate it's actually maintaining the connection because the danger is in those really tricky moments is in order to manage we disconnect, we step back, we go yeah. within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, by what you're, that tactic that you described, being authentic, not oversharing, but sort of saying, you know, mummy's feeling a bit, a bit tired or a bit sad today, yeah. you know, but yeah. so but I still love you and, you know, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. assurance, yeah. Yeah. not oversharing, but actually what it does is it reconnects with yes. the child and gives them a blueprint for how they might respond mm-hmm. in, in those sorts of moments. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're not always going to get it right. But no. then there's always... We can always repair. Repair is so important. And that's your work, isn't it? it is. Actually, it is, that, isn't that it? must yeah. get you up in the morning sometimes. Yeah. Because your, your therapy, the work that you do... do in the children's home and elsewhere, I know, yeah. in many groups, you and one-to-ones, I guess, as well. Yes, yeah, and a lot of parent-child workers as well. It is yeah. about repair, but I think this is not just something 
for that sort of counselling or therapy environment actually, you know, just day-to-day family relationships, interactions. If we as adults are able to accept and hold our hands up, accept responsibility when we don't do things right, when we, you know, perhaps responded in an impatient or snappy or irritable Mm. way and are able to actually acknowledge that and apologise and say, you know, to repair, basically, then we give, then we reconnect with the child. We also give them that blueprint for how they can respond with life's disappointments. So it's sort of a... It's an approach that I think lies at the core of successful families, successful relationships, being able to authentically own our, mm. and accept our own shortcomings, you know, where, where we've, where we've inten- unintentionally impacted on someone else mm-hmm. and bringing consciousness to that, bringing awareness to that and... Mm. Mm helping them move forward love it thank you so that's your s that's the yes that's the soothing so we've got the so we've got uh so we've got soothing then we've got playfulness acceptance curiosity so that curiosity about ourselves and the child curiosity about you know if there's something that's happening that day, what's how's that going to be for the yes. child? You know, oh, we've got a certain behaviour today. I, I wonder what, what happened. What was the pattern? What yes. you know, what might have been going on? And also curiosity about ourselves. Yeah. You know, what, why did I? Why did that get that reaction from me? Why did I yeah. feel that way? What's that about? Is that my stuff? Yeah. What do I need to do? What self care do I need? So it's mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. And then the empathy piece. Uh, empathy for the child, empathy and repairing, empathy, you know, showing that understanding, and then empathy for ourselves as as, oh. as well. We need we need to, mm-hmm. um, you know, we need to be kind. We're our worst, uh, our yeah. own worst critic, aren't Absolutely. we? Absolutely, yeah, and, yeah. yeah de- definitely. So the E, uh, the final one, mm-hmm. Stacey, mm-hmm. that really came about also from reflections and observations of adults really living and breathing pace but then me feeling hang on a minute where's the moments of engagement with the child pace isn't just a tool for navigating crisis moments Mm -hmm. and where things you know arguments are flaring and things could be could unravel quickly pace is a way of being to avoid that to develop the relationship to build that connection and it occurred to me that engagement, quality engagement, which I, th- I think has changed in what that looks looks like in recent years with the competition for mobile phones and, mm. you know, how often do, do we do we and how often do we see children mm. out with adults where the focus is primarily on on their phones. Phones obviously have transformed, liberated, greatly enhanced our lives in so many ways. But you know, we perhaps but, need to also be aware that, absolutely. Of, yeah. of the potential yeah. price. So yeah. engagement to me is really important because that could be the fun engagement. That could be 
just sort of calmly snuggling up. So if it was that moment of, oh, I don't, I don't feel, mummy doesn't feel, it feels a bit sad today, so why don't we just snuggle up? Mm. That's still mm. engagement, you're alongside someone. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it, it could be spontaneous, but it could be planned. And sometimes something that's planned is a wonderful cue for a wonderful way of showing a child that they've been thought of, that they're seen. Yeah. If if they come in from school or yeah. or if you've decided that they're going to do something, and I'm not talking about mega buck spending. No. I'm talking about having maybe some sand in the garden with a few objects or really low key, low cost items or going on a walk or, but something that communicates to them, oh, I've thought about you and I know you like this. I think you're gonna love this and we're gonna do this together. And you can only properly do that if you know your child very well because you know the things that you're going to put into that experience this is lovely thank you so much so you've come a long way from where you started with the heuristic play resources yeah you're still using them at all do they do they uh, yeah i use with your day-to-day yeah i use sensory resources in my work with children i do a lot a lot of my sessions are also outdoors sessions because i feel that that's, you're off to a nature reserve yes, this afternoon, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> because it's attachment with mother nature is, yeah. is you know you, you can't beat it and i just think it's such a calming holding space in which it's a fantastic container in which to explore difficult things as as well I I find uh, you know doing the job I do I have to take very seriously the importance of self-care through exercise and through being outside in nature so you know that's that's a Mm. sort of really important thing so yeah sensory stuff really does still float my boat I'm no longer the lone person shouting about it there's lots of other organizations that um, there are actually yes you've the 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 word is out there it is it's 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 I still don't think it's out there enough but it is out there it is it is out there and Mm. and I think it's now being recognized more as a mainstream thing as something that let's face it is beneficial to to everybody Um, you know a lot of the sensory stuff that's about touch as well messy play is a huge been a huge area for me I I was inspired to write my book on messy play because in my play therapy sessions I was just so intrigued by seeing children's interactions with messy materials how they become all sorts of things including bodily fluids and beautiful concoctions and potions and food. And children can lose themselves in this open-ended, messy, heuristic play, whatever whatever it is. That's a safe space for them as well, isn't it, if if you've got stuff going on? Absolutely. And in my work with adults and their uh, parent uh, adults and their children sorry you know I use quite a lot of it's a different approach but it, it's it's still got a tactile dimension so uh, might use stones and natural resources in in the work for them to create transient pictures or to decorate the stones or to pick words uh, if I've decorated the stones with words to pick those but sort of tact- a tactile dimension mm. 
into the play, into the session is is really important because a lot of a lot of children's lives are predominantly IT based. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> so yes, yeah. so it, it's it's still something we're we're uh, still promoting that type of uh, resource, but probably I'm doing it more through my research and through my writing. No, that's lovely. I've recently made sort of quite quite a difficult decision, really. I, I guess, uh, Caroline, you talked about our, our beginning of yes. our sort of long long distance relationship. Play to uh, it, yeah. In in terms of sort of like treasure baskets and heuristic play, which to many in many ways really was sort of a bit of a baby for me. Really, something I felt really passionately about a really important phase of my life and my profession. And with working full-time as a play therapist, therapist and a mental health practitioner, I've really found in the last few years that I don't have the capacity to, yeah. mental and physically, to put the time investment and the resources into my business, Play to Z. So, mm-hmm. It is, I'm going to sound like Alan Sugar here, but it is with regret (laughs) that I've decided to sort of sell off the heuristic play and sensory toys sort of side of my business and continue to focus more on the sort of sessions with children and parents, the therapeutic sort of dimension. There will be, if you check out my website, there will be details of some unmissable offers available. Fantastic. Uh, I'll definitely signpost that, yeah. I know we've kind of left playfulness aside a little bit, but coming sort of full circle, if you like, with these heuristic play resources and opportunities for children to be playful and at mm. peace that is part of them navigating this complicated world for themselves yeah yeah well yeah. absolutely i mean you know we only have to go back to thinking that play is a child's medium hmm? of communication so play i absolutely do not want to suggest that play is not important no 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 i, I know <laughs> and 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 that can take many forms that doesn't mm. have to be you know full-on belly creasing and and you know it it's actually it's a wonderful distraction tool for avoiding conflict it's a wonderful way of giving a child particularly a child that's struggling to achieve autonomy as a two-year-old or three-year-old and independence is a wonderful way of giving them a way out from confrontational situations and I still use the same technique that you could use with a two-year-old of with teenagers race you to wherever or bet you can't be and that works well with them and avoids that, you know, what could have become a, a, a sort of a, a point of yeah. nagging or conflict. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So these techniques work as well with older children as they do with the youngest. Love it. <laughs> what a great place to end. We will be signposting all our listeners to your books and other things. So they're on the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for adding some more depth 
into this hugely important subject. The families that you support, the children you support, the young people you support are so privileged to, to have somebody fighting their corner for them, like yourself. So thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you're left with some food for thought and ideas to try. You might like to subscribe to our podcasts on your preferred platform and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And why not head over to our website, www.turninglittlestones.co.uk, where you'll find show notes for each episode, previous podcasts, blogs, and even details on how to delve a little deeper. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and let us know if there's an area that you would like us to cover. So finally, thank you for every like, share, comment, encouragement, and of course, for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>